Adventure Presentation. Welcome back to episode 134 of the 8th Best Movie Podcast in Canada. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, you're just going to hold on to that for dear life. That, that, that It's title. the one thing we have, man. The one thing we have. So, uh, Eric, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, you know, we've had uh, a week or so off from the regular show. Uh, we got back from New York after seeing White Noise. And so, you know, um, we're slowly starting to uh, release new content, uh, The Big C. Uh, you can go and check out our uh, review of Werewolf by Night, uh, which is now available, and our review for Amsterdam, which I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, it will be available or soon after. Um, spoiler alert, one was good and one was bad. I'll let you be the judge. Yeah, it's been a New York minute, as they say. Uh, yeah, on today's episode, we'll be the talking about um, New York minute. Yeah, that's what this whole episode is going to be about. Uh, we'll be talking about our trip to New York, our little jaunt over to the New York Film Festival to uh, participate in a Critics Choice uh, Association um, event uh, for White Noise. Uh, we went to the press conference. We attended the premiere at the New York Film Festival. Uh, we had a little bit of time to explore and do some stuff. So we'll talk about that. Um, sticking with the, you know, pure New York energy, the super Mario brothers trailer <laughs> dropped and whatever voice Chris Pratt's doing, maybe it sounds like someone from New York. Maybe it sounds just like Chris Pratt. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, as well as, you know, I watched the newest episode of she Hulk and other things like that and whatever else we've been watching, probably some dragon ball. If we're being honest, and catching um, up with news that we missed right before, uh, you know, the recording or the ending of our recording last time around with uh, Hugh Jackman being announced as uh, yeah. Wolverine again in Deadpool we missed, 3. We missed that by like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we recorded our last episode 133 about uh, The Last of Us trailer. So we got a video game theme going on lately. Um, and then, yeah, the news dropped that uh, Hugh Jackman was coming back as uh, Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Like literally minutes after so uh we'll have a jam-packed episode eric do you want to get right into it do you just want to chit chat what do you want to do we got to give the people what they've been waiting for matt your thoughts on the super, on super mario, mario brothers <laughs> movie from illumination uh, uh i'm sorry as i'm prepping here i'm um making sure i have time codes because the people need to know they do when i start talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, Eric, do you remember the day you first saw the Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo and Dennis Hopper? Yes, Matt, I do. I remember um, fondly and excitingly, excitedly picking up a copy of uh, that very film, as you mentioned, on uh, VHS. Uh, if For people that don't know what VHS is, uh, it was the format before DVD where it was literally a uh, video uh, box kind of set. And I just remember the two gentlemen that starred in the film, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, shining on that cover, smiling and looking happy. But little did I know that the movie was going to suck hard. <laughs> Fuck you. I, I love that movie. I loved it as a kid. Love it as, as an adult. I own the Japanese Blu-ray because I needed to watch it in 1080p. Um, I, 
people who have been listening to our show for a long time probably know that video games um, were probably my first love before even like TV or film. Like when I was very, very young, my uncle Mark, who also introduced me into movies and he's a cinematographer and stuff, introduced me um, to video games. And, you know, my neighbors would have an original NES and, you know, a, a Super NES. And then I eventually got a Super Nintendo as well. And I just became obsessed uh, with video games and especially, you know, characters like Sonic, which we've talked about in in our reviews for Sonic the Hedgehog and my, uh, but especially Mario, uh, one of the most iconic characters, I think, just in pop culture in general. Um, but I have played and beaten basically every Mario game what just like downloaded on my computer that was strange <laughs> or opened up mario is, um, he, is he coming in yeah coming in hot um that was real weird um but i played and beaten basically every mario game uh a mario video game super mario rpg legend of the seven stars is my favorite video game of all time super mario world um absolutely incredible i've been obsessed with the character for you know my entire life um Still to this day, you know, Super Mario Odyssey, a great video game. Mario Party, fantastic. Mario Kart, iconic. Um, I think, you know, the movie, I don't disagree when people say it's terrible. It's just like I have this reverence for it, both as, you know, a nostalgic feeling for when I was a kid and now as an adult rewatching it just for like the batshit kind of crazy ideas they threw into that movie and tried to adapt Super Mario Brothers into this live action film. Um, and then I even liked, you know, the, the Lou Ferrig, not Lou Ferrig, no, uh, Lou, Al what's his name? The wrestler who oh, played yeah, him yeah, in yeah, Super um, Lou Al Albino? Albano? Um, Albano, yeah. Captain Lou Albano, um, who was also yeah, in the, you got um, it. Uh, Cindy Lauper music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Um, I was obsessed with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I used to wake up at 5 a.m., I remember, to sneak downstairs and watch Ren and Stimpy and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Um, which they ha would have little animated segments from, you know, Super Mario Brothers as well, as well as uh, The Legend of Zelda. Um, so that being said, you know, after the Super Mario Brothers movie, you know, bombed, critically bombed, like just bombed in general, uh, Nintendo has been so hesitant to make, you know, any adaptation of their their properties. So when a long ass time ago, we heard about, they said on the Nintendo Direct today, seven years they've been working on this film with Illumination. Um, I think it's it's okay to be skeptical of this. You know, we haven't really gotten a great video game adaptation. Eric and I have talked about that, you know, like time and time again, every time we review a video game movie or, you know, or talk about a video game project or even with the trailer for The Last of Us, which we hope is going to be great and truly looks like it could be the first great adaptation of a video game um i think the super mario brothers movie became a little bit of a joke um just because of its past and you know and and video game history being adapted into film so you know i both ironically and sincerely uh have been very excited for this because i, I i'm just i'm a huge mario brothers fan and i want it to be fun i want this to be a great kids movie or a great all ages movie, right? Like I want it to be the Lego movie or I want it to be one of those animated movies that can be both loved by fans and by new kids who have no idea who Mario is and just families. And uh, I want this to be great. Um, I will say with Illumination being attached, 
Um, this is going to be a long-winded intro, but I can't wait to talk about this trailer. So I'm just giving you a little history lesson. Um, Illumination, not my favorite you know, animation studio, not my favorite film studio. Uh, the Despicable Me movies and the Minions, um, I flat out despise. <laughs> um, and then the rest of their films have been very hit or miss for me i did not like the uh the pets movie they did secret life of pets um, how pets, the grinch stole um, christmas the grinch is fine it's just derivative in the same thing it's just whatever uh the lorax um uh the sing movies like again i thought the first sing movie was fine it was cute i saw that tiff it was a good atmosphere it was fine but like they haven't really done anything for me so i'm like are these the right people to do it um but then you say okay Miyamoto is going to be involved. The creator of Super Mario is going to be a producer on the film and he's going to be part of the creative process. And then you go, okay, that's, that's cool. Like that's what's happening with last of us with Neil Druckmann, like involve the creators, the people who know these characters best and, and, you know, uh, care about this thing succeeding and being a good story and stuff like that. And then we get that cast announcement uh, almost, Oh God, it feels like ages ago now, but a year, year and a half ago or two years. I don't know what the hell time works anymore. And then they have the most batshit insane cast you've ever heard, just filled with really big name, you know, actors. Um, and I think most of the but voice obvious cast choices is- too, right? Like it kind of felt like it was like a predictable kind of list of popular actors that you would yes pick like four I just or five never thought, years ago sure but i never thought in a mario movie that would be the group of people you get right. i guess like when you're making an illumination movie like that's they get big named people to do the voices and like it's just i guess the mario set of characters has just never it's just i don't know what they were going to do but i didn't expect to see jack black as bowser and seth rogan as donkey kong and like anya taylor joy as princess peach and like stuff like that which i actually all think are inspired interesting choices minus one person being super fucking mario the lead who is chris pratt who has voiced countless animated characters has been in everything well the lego um, we, movie you mentioned as well yeah right? which is obviously a, a big inspiration i think and charlie this, day this right as luigi like he was spaceman in uh in the lego, LEGO movie, movie yeah. as well right um even charlie day as luigi i'm more like behind but like after that casting announcement you're like this sounds wild let's see what happens anyways flash forward there's my eight minute intro to today we finally at new york comic-con everything comes back to new york um we get a nintendo direct where they premiere the first teaser trailer teaser it was very short uh to the super mario brothers movie which they've confirmed is the name which is the same name from the the uh the original film that they made which is to no surprise but uh the trailer starts uh with bowser coming in on his giant kind of floating castle ship um you get him taking over a kingdom with all of his koopa boys uh, and then there's a reference to the uh the penguins from super mario 64 um and which i wasn't expecting to see in this trailer um you get jack black's voice as bowser you get him absolutely wrecking them you get a little humor you get comic the wizard koopa um which i was like hell yeah comic and and then you jump forward to after bowser destroys this kingdom uh super mario himself jumping into the mushroom kingdom uh, you have a little cute moment with Toad, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key. 
Um, and then you have uh, Chris Pratt's Mario voice as they jump off into the Mushroom Kingdom. And that's pretty much it that you get in the trailer. Very quick, uh, beautifully animated in my opinion. Um, you get some deep cuts to Mario. Not like even super deep cuts, but like stuff that maybe a casual pe- person who doesn't know much about Mario wouldn't like the penguin thing and and even the design of the star and, and, and stuff like that. Oh, Bowser went to get a star at the penguins um, place, which looks like the stars from Mario 64, which is going to be basically well. probably his infinity stones, right? In a way. Yes, basically. Yeah. Even like the super Mario RPG game that I would, the stars are designed much differently in that game, but it's called legend of the seven stars where he has the Bowser's not really a villain in that game. It's more of a different character, but anyways, I think that's where they could go in the future. But if, um, it's a very brief look. Like, I, I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought we were getting like a trailer, but then I'm like, oh, wait, we haven't even gotten a teaser yet. So it does make sense that it, this trailer spends more time with Bowser, the Koopas, Comic, and the Penguins than with Mario and Toad and in Mushroom Kingdom. You get a very brief glimpse at Chris Pratt's Mario voice, which I think was the thing people were most not excited, but like worried about of what that would sound like because jack black doing a voice for bowser it still sounds like jack black but like he's very much doing a character like a voice for bowser keegan michael key very much doing a voice for toad yeah um chris pratt new york chris pratt it's (laughs) almost like like the first time you see the trailer for spencer or blonde and you're kind of questioning what Kristen Stewart or Ana de Armas's voice will be like both much better actors than Chris Pratt. Um, and yeah, like it, it does basically sound like Chris Pratt with a, a hint of maybe a kind of, you know, New Yorker, New York, Italian, Bronx kinda, kind of yeah. uh, dialect going on, but there's not enough to really kind of make a decision, which I think, you know, like it's almost like they still are, aware that people are mostly interested in that so they're kind of keeping that under lock and key uh but not keegan michael uh key um and so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out in a second trailer and in the movie itself and if everybody is kind of doing more vocal performances and not just kind of giving their own voice to you know, an animated character. Cause you mentioned with Jack Black, I think the thing that was most interesting there is that Jack Black has a very distinct voice, especially when he's kind of, you know, going in that higher octane or that higher range of, uh, you know, performance, you know, he's, he's a very excitable actor um, with this. It kind of did seem like he was putting on a performance in terms of how he was playing Bowser. So um, I think that that's maybe kind of interesting just to, in the sense that, you have these actors kind of playing roles and not just lending their voices to the character. Actually voice acting, yeah. right? Which is why some people might just go, well, why don't you just get voice actors who who can are trained into doing, you know, these types of performances and things like that. That being said, I thought Keegan-Michael Key and, and Jack Black were fine in, in, in the trailer. Like I actually liked Jack Black's portrayal of bowser and keegan michael key caught me off guard because i was expecting keegan michael key and then like oh i'm like oh he doesn't sound like him at all it's just like okay that's cool i agree with you that i'm interested to see like is seth rogan gonna be seth rogan as donkey kong or is he doing a voice for donkey kong and i'm like that laugh is hard to mask so we'll yeah well but maybe he just breaks into that laugh sometimes which i'm all for but 
yeah, just quick thoughts. And then Eric, you can give your overall thoughts too of what you think. Again, not much to go on, but like, it looks like they are going for the more sort of straightforward, like Bowser taking over these kingdoms and stuff like that, rather than the kind of meta thing that we talked about in the Lego movie or Wreck-It Ralph or something like that. Um, I, which I'm fine with. I think that's, that's totally fine. We've got a lot of that meta stuff lately that maybe a more straightforward thing is totally fine. Other than Mario coming in from somewhere, whether it's the real world, whether it's wherever Mario lives, New Donk City or something like that. But, um, which he lives, there's a city in Super Mario Odyssey area called New Donk City. It's like New York City, but it's like Donkey. Anyways, (laughs) do they have Donkey Donuts? Um, Oh, I hope so. Um, that would be a joke that would be in, in that film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which I'm totally fine with. Like, I want it to kind of be that family friendly, just like a fun movie. Like, I think I've said this before where I'm like, I don't need this movie to be amazing. Am I stoked for it? Absolutely. And that is both, that is just pure sincerity. Like I am actually very excited for this movie as a Mario fan. And like, I want video game movies to be good. And I think good can be great like what i hope the last of us is going to be or just good like what i hope mario is going to be like i just want mario to be like a fun time like it doesn't need to be groundbreaking it doesn't need to be like uh, the best kids movie ever it doesn't need to be a phil lord or chris miller movie it doesn't need to be that like i did like teen titans go to the movies quite a bit and i think it did have that kind of balance of like meta humor and just general since like sincere funny moments and like um i think those guys can bring that to this movie and you know i thought it looked gorgeous i liked how bowser looked how all the koopas were animated how comic um was animated and um and i liked how beautiful the mushroom kingdom looked like mario i think it'll take a second to adjust because we're so used to that video game version and to kind of illuminationify him is a bit jarring at first, I think, because they do very much have those same eyes and it doesn't look like all the human characters in Illumination movies, but you know what I mean, right, yeah. Eric? Like it still kind of has that Illumination look to it, which I'm not surprised. We didn't see a minion in the trailer, so I'm glad. Um, there's still plenty there, of time though. Yeah, there's still plenty of time of a minion dressed up in like a turtle suit or something like that, um, which I I bet happens, but I hope it doesn't. Um, but I'm just hoping that it's going to be a fun time. And this trailer gives me... Not much to go off of, but that opening sequence with Bowser with the penguins, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe they are, you know, have a bunch of people who really have this reverence for Mario, who are going to throw a bunch of references, who are going to kind of play with it and and have fun with it and just make like a fun family movie. And if it's like a three, 3.5 out of five at the end of the day, I think that's a huge success for me. Like that's all I kind of need this movie to be. Uh, if it becomes a four or 4.5, it'll never be a five out of five, unless I'm just like, holy fuck, they nailed Mario. And for me personally, it's a five, but that's like on there's no way um if they adapted super mario rpg which they could uh eventually that might be a five out of five for me but uh, include gino and mallow oh come on smithy and oh i want super mario rpg to be a, a movie so badly eric but um chris pratt's voice is the only thing that i'm kind of still you know i don't know what i wanted what, after he was announced yeah like i'm it's going to be fine. Like he's just going to sound like Chris Pratt, which is like not the best and 
it's not the worst thing. Like, I'm glad he's not doing a cartoony Italian accent. I'm You'll save that weirdly, for Garfield. Like, and then I'm kind of glad we didn't get the classic Mario voice either, just because I feel like that could be grating, um, like, for a whole movie. So I don't know what I would have wanted from a Mario voice, but I guess just generic dude is totally fine. But um, I am curious. We didn't see a lot of the other people. Like we didn't see Princess Peach. We didn't see Donkey Kong. We didn't. We saw a brief glimpse of Luigi in like a in one of Bowser's castle with dry bones. And um, so um, yeah, I'm excited to see more. And I think it looks gorgeous. So I, I'm all in though because like I I really want this to be fun. Yeah. Um, I, I'm indifferent. Yeah. I, I like, I'm, I'm not like, you know, like this movie shouldn't exist and look at the track record of video game adaptations and things like that. It's just, oh, okay. Well, you know, like I don't really have any expectations going in really whatsoever. You know, I did play the N64 version of the game and, and, you know, Mario Kart party. So did you recognize the, the penguins? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like there are certain characters that I'd be curious to see if they pop up that are within, you know, that era or that console. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I did appreciate that the, at least with the opening sequence with Bowser's introduction, it wasn't too kind of gimmicky and like winking at the camera. And it kind of seemed to not be self-serious, but at least it kind of respected like, oh, it's it's playing up, you know, this villain type character. And there is a little bit of, of menace and threat there in a way that even in Jack Black's performance it wasn't just simply like hey i'm bowser i'm a goofy yeah, yeah, villain yeah. that's gonna you know They're do horrible strange, things yeah I'm, yeah and and that's where like you could see that in the wrong hands and again like this is only a couple minutes worth of footage yeah, but not enough it's two sequences right yeah There's a sequence in a scene you could see that kind of being something that the studio learned from like the wrong lesson to learn from the Lego movie where like the Lego movie does have that self-referential kind of wink at the camera quality, but it almost earns that with its clever writing and the emotional arc that's sort of the foundation of, of that first film at least. And, you know, a lot of movies that we've seen in the last little while have taken some of those aspects in terms of the meta humor and, you know, for better or worse, obviously Phil Lord and Chris Miller have kind of cultivated that even more so with Spider-Verse and have done an amazing job with that. And I'm sure that will also be an influence on on this movie and, and um, in its development. Because yeah, each so, kingdom could be considered a different universe, right? Like, yeah, depending. That seems like what Bowser's up to. But yeah, um, I, I don't have anything against it. I don't have anything necessarily for it. I'm 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 happy to see it do well in in the sense that we've talked about this before and 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 the and, possibilities if it does well. Yeah, I like I think I would be more excited about a Star Fox movie than anything else or if they made like a Mario Kart movie, I don't know. Just like hearing Mario There'll go, be a Mario battle? Kart bit in this. Yeah, like you got to think that Mario Kart is referenced in some of the sports and stuff in this. Yeah. Like, um yeah, I think that's kind of where my excitement goes too. Like if this movie makes a billion dollars, like um which it, it could make a ton of money. Like being an animated movie, being, you know, from Illumination who has a track record of making like a huge money on on some of their movies and just being an you know a, a 
a property that like I think is one of the most iconic characters in anything. Like I think even people who don't play video games, who don't really like if you said Super Mario, they could probably explain to you what he looks like. Yeah. Like nine out of ten people. And that's grandmas, that's children. I think maybe he's not as like relevant to like teenagers now or like kids like maybe as much but i still think most people would know what super mario is or or what he looks like and like kind of give an impression of him or something like that so i could see this movie like well he's the figurehead right of nintendo like if if you were to ask like anybody do you can you name any like video game characters or do you know what nintendo is i mean even if they don't know the name they can say oh it's like that weird like italian plumber guy yeah yeah that's exactly it so i feel like it will do super well and you know i think at best it's gonna be like oh that was a fun movie and then at worst you're like oh they should have never done it (laughs) like they should have just stayed away but i have a good feeling that we are gonna be in that that sweet spot of like that was pretty good like that was good and it's gonna make a ton of money and then, like, we're going to get maybe other – there are already rumors of a Donkey Kong movie with uh, Seth Rogen, which is, like, you know, there's so many different franchises. So you got the Donkey Kong Country. You have Star Fox. You could introduce Kirby. You could introduce uh, – Zel- Zelda is, like pri- – I know they were working on that uh, Netflix series for a little while. But I just think like a CG animated, like, Legend of Zelda movie would absolutely crush, like, if you got the right – people involved in that and like a star fox cg movie would be awesome it's just star wars but like but like it's you could do a fully animated it would be kind of like light year but probably more you know fun and tongue-in-cheek like light year was took a more serious route but had some humor there'll be it. more barrel um, rolls in star fox yeah do a barrel roll baby um I, you know, just Smash Brothers even, right? Like if you wanted to take the Marvel approach and, and, and do these movies and somehow do some sort of crossover thing, like Smash Brothers is prime for that. But like, um, yeah, I'm I'm really hoping it does well. I I want this to be the golden era for video game adaptations. Like I really do. Like um, I'm all for original ideas as well, everyone. But I, I do think that adaptations are never going away, whether they're from books or um remakes or video games and other mediums and things like that like it's tv shows being turned into movies like it's never gonna stop so why not have them at least be good um and not just lazy like cash grabs so um it seems like everyone's invested in this and like i'm 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 here for it so i hope it's good yeah, it seems like it's a pretty fail-safe investment just in terms of its box office uh chances and you you know you have a studio like Illumination, you know, they they've been doing very well with all of their films. I mean, even just this year, obviously like with, you know, Minions the Rise of Crude. I mean, that movie crossed over 100 million dollars and was one of the most successful films of the summer movie season. Uh, you know, being an animated movie is is a point for it. Being a kids movie or or kind of geared towards kids as well also helps and and um having that have- nostalgia of an older generation having grown up with you know, the various consoles and the gameplay. So you have that. So there's, there's, there's a lot of positive factors playing into this that will make it probably it, like, it has to be terrible, like absolutely positively terrible 
for it to not yeah. make yeah a to get the little bomb guy in to come in and blow up bomb the whole, yeah, <laughs> yeah to blow up the whole thing um so i i think like it it's kind of almost a a, a foolproof movie in a this lot movie's of making almost a hundred million dollars opening weekend yeah. i'm saying it now yeah, yeah. like because i'm looking at at illuminations box office history they have two movies that have crossed a billion which is the first minions film and the third despicable me movie but despicable me 2 975 million worldwide these are all worldwide minions the rise of Gru, 919 million worldwide that was this year um you have secret life of pets made 885 million uh worldwide had a over a hundred million dollar opening weekend i forgot yeah like illumination is huge as much as i don't like a lot of these movies like families love the, this shit like they love these movies and if you put the minions at the beginning of that trailer like the like they come out with the illumination logo and you have like from the studio that brought you secret life of pets and in, in, in the minions it's like their lowest grossing stuff is hop and the lorax and then everything else is made over $400 million worldwide. So, like, it's foolproof, really. Like, you got to think the whole Despicable Me movies have almost all made, like, a billion. Um, it The opening weekends, Minions, $115 million. Minions, The Rise of Gru, $107. Secret Life of Pets, $104. This shit's making over $100 million opening weekend. Yeah. I'm calling it right now. Yeah, I I think that that's a that's a fair bet to place. Like it's it's something that if it doesn't, I would be more surprised if it made the kind of box office money that if the Lorax made seventy mil opening weekend, this it, is making yeah. Like harder. if it makes less than the Lorax or the same as the Lorax or then hop, it's a failure. Then it is a failure. But I don't think it is. I think it has so many demographic kind of ticked off yeah. already the like the only criticism and the only thing that i would say and this isn't even really a slight against the movie it's just the world we live in and it's a generational thing is that you know this is this is something that has been around for decades now and it kind of feels like you know you just mentioned not too long ago that you know maybe young kids or teens now won't have the same reverence for it that you know you did growing up because mario's not you know the 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 character that they're interested in in the video game world and so with that like there's always that kind of feeling of you know a generation before or a couple generations before always taking the things that they loved and saying isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Like you should love what I love. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't have to love what you love. I want to love new things that are made, create new worlds and, and, and be inspired by the next step, you know? And, and that could be something that could be rebelled against with the film sure. a little bit, but I don't think that will hurt it that much. I'm just, and that's not even against this movie specifically. That's no. just in general with, you know, every generation that comes into power from the one before is going to take the things that they were most nostalgic and, and, and longing for. And right now it's eighties and nineties stuff. Yeah. Right? And, like, and it's kind of like, okay, well you have to also consider the generations that are growing up now might not have that same investment in, in those things that you love. And it doesn't mean that you should force those things on them either. And, and they, you know, or they shouldn't have to love them by obligation. 
Um, so that's like the thing where it's like, you know, it's always nice to have something that you're familiar with and comfortable with and, and, and brings you that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. But at the same time, it's also good to have new stuff. And that's like even, you know, like moving away from Illumination, like I worry more about like, you know, Pixar with them kind of not doing as many original um productions as they used to where now they you know they started as a company saying that we're not going to do sequels you know sequels made sense for something like toy story i understood that but now it kind of feels like they've gotten to that point where to do inside out too and like yeah they've lost their way a little bit but that happens even just with you know live action stuff too they still put out bangers though so if we get one banger for every three now instead of like consistent bangers every movie they're also making two movies a year sometimes turning red is 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 great but like turning red was another thing where it was like it kind of sucked that that movie was at the tail end i mean we're still in the pandemic but in terms of you know the pandemic era of things being closed and yeah and and it's streaming for free on disney plus and it's kind of like oh man that kind of sucks i mean domi she put so much work and effort into creating something that was very i would have loved to see it in a theater yeah yeah and also something that just was wholly original you know and and like it kind of was like oh well light is the first you know movie to to be released by them that is uh and, and light year's fine but it's just like again it's kind of like light year didn't s- even perform that well, no it did didn't it it, it, yeah. it was a safe play but it was one that didn't work so i mean if Mar- super mario brothers does what light year does like that could be telling but i i still don't think that that's gonna be a I problem think- yeah, I really I think the whole Lightyear thing was confusing to people of like what that movie was where I think Mario is very it, it's pretty simple to understand what it is. It's colorful, it's like it, it's a well-known character where the whole Lightyear thing of being like a different voice actor, it's not the colorful fun Toy Story movies, it's a more serious film like some of the politics the, behind yeah. it, but then also even again the pandemic era of expectations where it's like you know what i have disney plus i'll wait until it's available on disney plus to watch i don't need to go and pay you know another 12 dollars for one person let alone you know 75 dollars for a family to go and see and that's just probably for tickets for the film itself if you have a smaller relatively kind of medium-sized family so it's like well i have the subscription to disney plus it'll be available within you know seven weeks so why not that's also part of people's mentality now right yeah Yeah. you know once you instilled that with pixar movies i'm curious to see moving forward right because like lightyear is the second lowest grossing pixar movie in theaters behind onward which only had a couple weeks in theaters right yeah before everything shut down like Lightyear really at 218 million worldwide really <laughs> bombed for them. Like lower than the good dinosaur dude. And like and that's wild. Wild. Did a bug's life make um, more? Yeah. Oh man. And that was like in 1998 made more. Um jeez. So for for it made lower than the first toy story and these are all in the nineties. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, you're making a good point. Like it, I guess people, especially with animated movies, but I guess with, um, but rise of, min- of Gru did yeah, so well. That's right? what I mean. Like that, that shows me that people will still go out for an animated movie, but maybe for a Pixar movie, Disney shot themselves in the foot a little bit of being like, well, you can get these on free on Disney plus. So like, why do I need to go to a theater to see this? Like I can just get it in 45 days or I, I did get this 
day and date um, the last two movies. Why do I have to go pay to go see this in a cinema, right? Especially families who we talked about this before when you have to bring four children, your two children, their two friends, the mom and the dad. It ends up being a a hundred and fifty concession stand as well if you're going to buy anything there yeah so i I understand so but and then the minions rise of Gru became like that meme right so you had that generational thing where it was like people dressing up as weirdly despicable me has been around long enough right that those kids who were kids when that first one came out are now teenagers and, and and stuff like that. And they're going and seeing minions because of that, or, or dressing up in suits and going to the theater to be ironic and, and, but boosting box office numbers. Right. So I don't know with Mario, I think you'll have a lot of, you know, it does have that generational kind of pull between, you know, us in our thirties who loved the character when we were younger. And I think, people even a little bit older than us and a little bit younger. And then you have that younger generation, which I think Nintendo is still huge. Like the Nintendo Wii and the Nintendo switch have been absolute, like the highest selling video game consoles, beating Xbox, beating, you know, PlayStation and things like that, because it kind of appeals to everyone. Right. So I, I do think that this movie will crush it and um, whether critically crush it, I don't know. Like it may end up getting a 60, on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that where it's like yeah some people liked it it's still just kind of a middle of the road kids movie or something like that or it could be great who knows we've seen a minute and a half from it so (laughs) we did 40 minutes on it though yeah and I I also quickly think that like Universal even though the the theatrical release window has gotten shorter and obviously they've done well with you know films like Trolls 2 and things like that they also don't advertise the fact that the release window is shorter or that there's the premium um you know purchase of something on iTunes the way that Disney Plus kind of has and that kind of also helps with that kind of almost anonymity kind of thing where like you have the you know the the film still playing theatrically but then also is available to purchase for a premium price, but there are still, but there are still people seeing it in the theater because maybe they don't realize it where like if they have, you know, obviously Peacock is available in the U S but it doesn't always get like the new releases right away or it doesn't weirdly Halloween again is like, yeah, it's interesting, but like something like, you know, Idris Elba in beast is still playing theatrically in, you know, at landmark cinemas. And it's like, it's still playing at least two screenings a day. So there are people that are still going to that movie. And I wonder if it's like, or I think it's like you have a 24 cinema theater yeah, and you have to fill that shit out and you're not, there's not enough movies coming out anymore. I think really like, cause movies got delayed because of the pandemic or um, it just spread out a bit more. Not a, as many are getting made. Like it, it's interesting, even with knives out, uh, sorry, glass onion getting like a full release at, AMC and Regal and, and stuff like that in the US. That news came out today. Um Thanksgiving, right? In the US. That's yeah, where they're accepting other movies because I think they just need to fill these screens up. And I'm seeing movies like everything everywhere all at once played until like I feel like I still saw someone went. I went to the movies the other day and saw everything everywhere all at once. I'm like, that shit's been out at home for like three months now. Well, talk on <laughs> Maverick, so, right? Like Tom yeah, Cruise Maverick, was really yeah. smart with kind of always extending that theatrical 
window and keeping it going and kind of moving it back further and further. And because, I mean, it was a popular movie and it did well, but the word of mouth was so strong and the movie itself was so good that it's not only sustained itself over the summer, but like even having its, you know, even it being available now to purchase, to watch at home is not the same experience as watching it in the theater. And that was kind of a marketing sort of strategy there where it's like, you need to see this theatrically. And I mean, the, the Blu-ray and 4k isn't even coming out till the beginning of November. So, you know, a movie like that has really emphasized the importance of the theatrical experience and has maintained that. So there is always going to be, those movies and i feel like the super mario brothers film will be that movie that does quite well and 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 i think the spring is a good time to open it because it's it's that gap between you know the award season is over people are looking for something kind of as a palate cleanser and then it's right before kind of the bigger movies come out. I think Mission Impossible actually is opening around that time as well, or March. I'm Um, looking it up now. So, you know, you have something for the kids, you have something for the adults, you have something that will push people to go to the theater, you know, for those opening weekends and, and possibly kind of keep going and build that momentum for the following weeks. Yeah, like I think it's going to do very well because you don't really have any kids films around it. So in late March, you're going to have Shazam, Fury of the Gods on the 17th, John Wick Chapter 4 on the 24th. Um, You're going to have the Untitled Scream sequel the week before on the 31st. Um, Six Cream? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then... uh, Supreme, so, so, so <laughs> um, and then on the same day you have on a wing and a prayer, which is a Dennis Quaid movie that'll probably be. Oh, it's a religious uh, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. And then the the Pope's Exorcist, also a religious film. Nice <laughs> on that day. So I think Russell Crowe's in uh, that. Actually. Yeah, Russell Crowe, uh, Julius Avery uh, directed. Who is he? The guy who did um, Overlord, Overlord, which and Son I of actually, a Gun, and he did Samaritan this year. I didn't the Sly know that. Stallone movie, yeah. Because I liked uh, Overlord, but I didn't even know he did Samaritan, and I haven't heard much of it. Then you have Renfeld. Um, the Nick next Cage week. is Dracula. Um, and then Next Goal wins on the 21st, and Evil Dead Rise on the 21st, but Guardians of the Galaxy in May 5th. So there's nothing around it, dude. Yeah. Nothing. So it'll do quite well, and it'll have probably those couple of weekends afterwards where it continues like that drop off probably won't be you know because like i i renfeld which is also a universal movie which is interesting um and they're kind of going for the angle of like i think they're i I don't think it takes place in the same universe but they're kind of looking at it as like another invisible man right where like it's kind of their newer take on uh, the dark universe that's not the dark universe that's post dark universe <laughs> yes which it's um yeah 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 because yeah. from the director of the lego batman movie too yeah right? and the tomorrow yeah. war with chris pratt so we'll see man uh, chris I mckay i believe yeah yeah chris mckay you're right uh moving on from super mario to new donk city uh, Eric and I uh, popped down to New York uh, for a day, a day and a half, 
like I mentioned earlier in the show, to attend a Critics' Choice Association uh, event where we attended the premiere of White Noise at the New York Film Festival, as well as attended a press conference uh, the next day with Noah Baumbach, uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, Don Cheadle, uh, Don, Danny Elfman. I was going to say Donny Elfman. <laughs> Donkey, Donkey Elfman. Donkey Elfman. Um, and uh, yeah, so Eric and I went to New York, which was uh, pretty fun, a place we've been to quite a few times. So um, Who could this forget wasn't that screening of Venom. Yeah, uh, it wasn't quite like our L.A. trip where it was like a six and a half hour flight each way. Uh, the flight uh i forget how quick it is because like i it's haven't flown to newark in it's a while less it's like a train ride than an it's hour just, or it feels yeah. like an it, it, like, in the air it's like exactly an hour yeah. and i think it's just all that process of getting to the airport getting on the plane taking off landing getting off takes way longer than the literal hour you're in the air like you're basically whoop and then you're down and i'm like i barely had eric i watched an episode and a half of dragon ball because by the time they're like okay we've we're up in the air you can take out your laptop and stuff now and i take out my laptop i watch an episode of dragon ball i get 10 minutes into another one they're like gotta put that away we're landing and i'm like oh my god i'm like okay cool Um, compared to that those like eight hours on that bus doesn't that make you even more mad i we probably told that whole story on this podcast right yeah Uh, maybe like at some point um um but i will never take a bus to new york ever again like i'd rather get to the airport three hours early and just chill and then get on my flight that takes an hour than do that 11 hours on the bus it's miserable yeah, and I think, you know, full transparency as well, Netflix paid for it, so it's it's not yeah. like, you know, like I understand it, taking the bus is a little bit cheaper in terms of, you oh, know. Oh, I don't, but if you have to do it, you have to do yeah. it. I did it for a long time, and if you still want to go to New York, it, there's, it's still, you get to go to New York, and it's cheap, but. Yeah, and um, I think if you're a little bit younger as well, like that doesn't, it's like, it, the best way to do it still probably is overnight, because at least you can try to get some sleep on the bus, even though it is almost impossible to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, you know, turning 30 and going to New York was a blast. Obviously, you got very sick by the end of it. And then coming back was just agony because we had already experienced, you know, the eight hour bus ride with a couple of stops coming. So we knew what to expect going back which was more of the same. But then when you, you know, you take a plane in and you get into LaGuardia, it's, it's literally just, you know, so quick. It's like, it's, it, there, there's nothing better than knowing that you're at your destination, you know, almost as soon as you get in the air and it's like, yeah. okay, you, you, there are less things to worry about. And I think on top of that, this time around kind of getting through customs was a lot easier because of the How app. How great is that, that app? Yeah. That I gotta, you, plug, yeah. I don't, I kind of want it to be a secret, but I don't want to be a jerk and not tell people about it either. Right. It's called mobile passport control. It's called MPC. So if you're a Canadian or probably even an American, like returning at certain airports um, uh, and have to go through customs. If you don't have like a Nexus card or a global entry card um, and you just have to go through normal customs, like all the other uh, schmucks, like 
this app is incredible. And I don't know if they steal all the information off my phone. I don't know what I hit check mark on something, but it saved me a good 45 minutes in that line. Cause like, or longer. Cause like, I remember the time we went to LA and we like literally just made our plane because they made us sit for so long. We didn't, couldn't go through security until two hours before our flight. And then we were in customs line for over an hour. And then we were like running to our flight essentially where this mobile passport control does you can find it in the app store. I think it's maybe on Google and iOS. Um, it's you do all your custom stuff before. So you scan your passport, you put in all your information, you answer all the questions of what the purpose of your trip is when you're coming back, all that kind of stuff that they ask you when you get to customs. And then basically you save that. And then when you get to the airport, you submit it and you get a QR code. And then there's a separate line at customs that says mobile passport control. It's off to the right, at least at Pearson, because you do pre-customs in Toronto when you go to uh, like um, the U.S., and um, no one in that line. And there was like a bazillion people in the normal line. It was incredible. I felt like I was like a VIP somewhere. Like, and I felt like such a jerk, but I'm just like, you guys can all download this app. No one's doing it. Like, so if you're going to the US in the near future, before people realize this, if you're an early adopter of tech, um, you will pass through customs in two minutes. And it's fantastic. And, and like, you can even secure. download it when you're a, like, a, like literally like there. getting into the line. Like Terry Hart did that. Yeah. yeah. So she didn't download it until she was passed through security and saw how long the line was. And someone's like, oh, if you scan this code, you can download this app and go in this line and, and do it. So I would just say pre-do it before you get to the airport because it just saves you time and energy and hassle. And um it was it was magic and it made it so much easier. It, you could probably shave off that three hour get to the airport early for international flights to way less because like, but it does depend on how long the security line is and you never really know, but the security line wasn't too bad when, when we got there at least, or at least when I got there. Um, and then coming home, security was literally walk on <laughs> and we got there three hours early and I'm like, oh yeah, we don't have to do customs here. And I'm like, oh man, we're really early. <laughs> and then I got an early flight home, so that was dope. And yeah, was Shake Shack. Yeah, and, and even like doing customs back in uh, Toronto, it was it was nothing. Like it was literally yeah. like I just took up the the information that I needed to have, and they're like, yep, yeah, you can go. <laughs> yeah, basically same. He's like, oh, you, New York, New York. Did you have a good time? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, go. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then, yeah, the trip itself was, uh, it was fun. It's fun to do it with you and hang out in a different place. It's fun to go to a hotel for a night. Like, it's just nice during these times to, like, still kind of get away for a day. And, like, yep. Brussels sprouts. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, we'll get into that. So, like, we didn't have much time to, like, we did have a lot of time, but not enough time to, like, go do something. You know what I mean? Like, I basically was like, yeah, I could hop on a train. I could go down to Times Square. I could go to Brooklyn. I Olive could go Garden. To Queens. We could go to the Olive Garden in Times Square. Um, but I'm like, I'm just going to stick around here. So you got in a little bit later than I did. Yeah. So when I got there, I had a couple hours to kill because my room wasn't ready. So I was like, I'm going to go get Shake Shack. I'm like, I'm here. I can't get Shake Shack at home. I definitely need to go. So I go for a good 20, 20 minute walk to Shake Shack. 
get there. It's pretty busy like usual, but there's outdoor seating. I see they have a hot ones burger and I was like, Ooh, baby, I got to get this. I love a good collab. So like I, I see the hot ones logo and I'm like, I got to try this thing. And like they had a chicken version, obviously, cause that would make more sense, but, um, it's shake shack. I have to get the burger. So it was called the hot ones burger had like bacon cheese, like a Monterey Jack cheese, the burger, um, and this spicy sauce on it. Um, and on the thing, they're like, it's a seven out of 10 for spice. And I'm like, that sounds, that sounds good. I don't want my mouth to be on fire, but I like, I want, I want this to be hot ones. I want it to be a a little spicy because it was hot ones. Pringles I got before were shockingly spicy. Um, so I order that, get some fries, get a Coke zero, um, while I'm waiting for Eric and I crush that bad boy, uh, crush some fries, uh, burger. Solid burger. Shake Shack is excellent. Hot Ones burger, not spicy. I'd give it like a two on the spicy scale. Did you get it when you were at the airport? No, I just no. got a regular uh, yeah, like, burger because I just, yeah. I just, I didn't want to like not shit that, yourself on the plane. <laughs> no, well, not just that. It even just like kind of like sweat or or kind of yeah, feel. It wasn't spicy. You no, no, no. I, I mean, I when I had last year, I tried um, the McDonald's. Uh, ghost pepper, ghost pepper whatever. um burger and like it had maybe a little bit of like a tingle but i feel like by design they can't make it actually yeah. as spicy as the hot sauce or the pepper is because there probably will be some sort of legal ramifications but i don't even know if it's legal i just think it's a lot of people don't love super spicy things and you'd get people either complaining or uh or just find it inedible so they still need to make it like edible which i understand yeah and so i just went with a regular burger and uh their their classic shake shack burger and and fries and a diet coke and it was great. I mean, I had it at the uh, the airport. You had it in New York, so I don't know, like, if there's that. much I mean, of the airport Shake Shack is still good. I've eaten yeah. at that exact airport Shake Shack like multiple times. Um, I've got the breakfast there once. I had their breakfast, which didn't love, didn't love. Um, but the Hot Ones Burger, you could have also added a pack of the last dab sauce on the side for like eighty cents or something. Uh, part of me wanted to, but I thought that sauce was already going to be spicy enough, like that I didn't need it. Um, and I'm sure the last dab sauce would have been actually very spicy. Um, but who knows? So Shake Shack was dope. Went back with you, Eric. We went on a little adventure for some Blu-rays. How'd that go? Matt, it's a sad (laughs) state of affairs when physical media, at least in the, most commercial sure. uh, locales uh, being Best Buy Central and, Park and, and, yeah. and a non-existing uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's 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 nothing left. Matt. It's a desolate wasteland of physical media, and what's left is just well. You can go to my Twitter uh, page and uh, check out that photo I took at Best Buy. It's just yeah. sad. The best part about it though was when we were walking up to it and you looked at the, cause this Best Buy was actually closing and you're like, Oh, it's already closed. Uh, it says October 28th. And it's like, we missed it. <laughs> it's like, Matt, it's September. it's September. Yeah, I know. Again, I don't know how time works anymore. Um, but yeah, you usually whenever we're in the U.S. because you hate the French printing yeah. on um, Canadian Blu-rays that we, you always go pick some stuff up. So, um, you know, we went for a good walk. We got our steps in, but we went to a Best Buy, a Target, and a 
what we thought was going to be a Barnes and Noble, but was permanently closed. Um, all that shit is permanently closing around there too, right? Like that yeah. Best Buy and stuff like that. The Target was more of like a city Target, didn't really have an electronic section. But um, yeah, we're at that time where like it's not dead yet, but you kind of have to order it online or go to like a specialty store, it seems like. Or if you're in the suburbs, their Targets are a little bit more filled. But even though like when I've gone to those, like they don't have like a huge selection or anything. It's usually just what came out that week that we got 10 copies of everything. And like when that goes, it goes. Yeah. And I think LA is better for it than New York. Um, It seems like part of it is, you know, like you go to some place, like you mentioned, like a boutique store, like Amoeba Records, which specializes in physical media. So you're going to get something there, but you know, if you go to a target in LA or if you go to, you know, a Best Buy um, in, in and around California, it seems like they do have more in stock where we went to that mall and you went yeah. to a Best Buy there and they had yeah. an okay selection, right? Yeah. They, I mean, it wasn't like a, a wide selection, but they had like the last, I would say like when we went like the last six to seven months worth of, you know new releases, new releases yeah. and 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 uh catalog titles so it was like okay well like, at least there's still stuff available there where new york did seem kind of like a ghost town when it came to uh physical media you know yeah so we went for a walk came back to the hotel hung out because we were lazy yep. <laughs> um and then because we we're like we've been to new york so many times i'm like i thought about going to draft house to see smile or maybe a dolby cinema or something like that but i knew we already were going to see a movie later that night and i'm like all right let's just relax we got our hotel rooms and then we both just kind of hung out right we both ordered dinner to room on room service because yep. like we had a little per diem and um you had a lobster spaghetti, lobster right? pasta. Yep. Oh uh, yeah, and then I had a giant, the biggest plate of Brussels sprouts <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, and octopus. Because I was like, you know, when in Rome, you know, um, I I was just like, okay, they were both appetizer sizes, or one was a side and one was an appetizer. This plate of Brussels sprouts, Eric, you smelt it when you came over. Yeah, but I like, didn't dealt it though. <laughs> it, it was gigantic. It was the biggest plate of like fried Brussels sprouts I've ever seen. They were delicious, but and they were. Um, they, it was a very strong smell too. Like it was like you could well, tell Brussels sprouts. Yeah, yeah, that like in the same way that any kind of um certain certain foods have certain aromas so that like <laughs> I, w- I wondered if your... i smelled like that for the rest of the night no no you didn't like... no you didn't like honestly like once we left your room uh, it was I, fine it was it yeah. was it was more so just entering your room and how like it was wafting just it was a like... waff of fart yeah <laughs> right. yeah and your lobster spaghetti you said was okay the, the the spaghetti the pasta was amazing the lobster was fine it was a yeah. little chewy yeah and i think maybe i'm more of a crab guy i think i Ooh, like crab more than I lobster like i don't like either really i'm gonna say if i have to pick between the two is I, this a hot take lobster totally overrated totally overrated i think it's one of those no? uh, like fancy ass foods that like unless you lather it in butter but then i'm like you're just tasting butter and yeah. kind of a flavorless seafood that's like not fishy but like it's not to me i've never had lobster where i'm like fuck that was incredible <laughs> like it just to me it's just like oh you soak it in butter and then you're like ooh, that that was tasty seafood and you're like i don't know like i've, I've sushi is more interesting to me like as seafood octopus i love the octopus i had 
very okay. But yeah. the Brussels sprouts crushed it. So <laughs> clearly. Um, <laughs> and then um, I ordered room service again later, but we'll get to that. Um, had to use all of that. Um, then we had a little cocktail hour. I had a couple old fashions, maybe three. Um, I, oh, I had a, a some you know a drink with my food for dinner. Um, we're kind of hanging out with other Critics Choice members and 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 people, um, having a good time. Went over to the New York Film Festival premiere of White Noise, which we will have a review of eventually. I would like to see it again before we review it. It was a long day. Uh, I would say the first little bit of the movie, uh, hard for me to get into. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But um, I, I, I need to see it again just because I, I need to be completely lucid, not on a travel day, um, and to kind of give it a fair shot. Because like I did like a lot of elements of it. And Eric, you can kind of go into it a little bit more because there's no embargo or anything. But... Um, I really liked some of the production design. I liked the odd tone of it. Um, I, I like some of the kind of things that it's, it's trying to do and talk about, but like, um, overall I need to see it again. That's my thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those movies that, you know, if, if you're traveling somewhere and, and, you know, you're seeing it at the end of a day, it can had a couple be, cocktails. It can be one of those movies that, that, that does kind of grate on you a little bit. And it's not really the film's fault. It's more no. so just the environment. And I think like, as much as I like Alice Tully Hall, the seats I found. It reminds really me of Ryerson. Yeah. And like, I was thinking about my back the whole time while <laughs> watching it because I was in so much pain. I was, just, I was so stiff by the end of it, but the movie itself, I do think, it's Noah Baumbach's most ambitious movie um, from a technical point of view, but also from a writer's point of view. Adapting Don DeLillo is no easy task. Um, it's almost impossible. There's a group of those kind of literary giants that are really hard to kind of find a sort of way in to adapt to another medium obviously david cronenberg tried with uh cosmopolis but even other authors like you know philip roth and thomas pynchon um even jonathan litham to some extent uh or martin amos like those guys john grisham. yeah john grissom um those guys are are really kind of metaphysical writers where like on the page it's so densely written and descriptive that when translating it to a screenplay and then on a screen it can lose you can lose your point of reference very quickly and what it's going for and how I mean it was talked about in the press conference where the artificial nature of the characters and the emotion has to be there from the acting because it, on the page it's more of an archetype or um, a caricature or a reference than anything else. And with, you know, capitalism and consumerism and the idea of, you know, an impending doom, it, it has a lot of things that are very familiar, you know, especially with like that 80s family. But even with that, like it's, it's a blended family, you know, you have, multiple kids from different, you know, marriages coming together as well with this, you know, mom and dad that are kind of academic, but also 
quite literal at times and it plays very much like a sitcom. And that I think is what is intentional where it's like, you know, these characters get involved in a series of events, one being sort of the toxic airborne event and it almost playing episodically. It's like, what will this family get into this week or this episode or this segment of, of the show, but it's done in a, feature format that kind of is also playing within the milieu of classic 80s adventure movies that many of which you know you'll notice in you know Steven Spielberg films but also Amblin movies so there's a lot going on there to really kind of dissect and pick through and digest and take time to consider but I think it is really well made and there are sequences where it's like it, it sometimes works. It sometimes doesn't. When it clicks, it's kind of interesting, but also, and I, again, I don't like using interesting. I think like that's such a cop-out word, but like it does sort of captivate you in a way where it's like it is working. And then there are moments where it kind of feels like, oh, we're taking a break from the thing that I did find you know, uh, engrossing to kind of you know reset or you know, point out something else and then reboot back to the, the, the supermarket, you know, the, the cinematography and the production design and the I love editing. that AMP, man. I yeah. Are, are all well done. I think the performances like are as good as they can be given almost the confines of having very little internal life with the characters on the page. Um, so yeah, I think it's the best version of, a white noise adaptation by from Don DeLillo being adapted by Noah Baumbach that you could get. It's, it's, it's the best version of that movie. And yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's not great, but it's also one of those films where, you know, like when it's available on Netflix, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And we're seeing that a lot more now where, you know, you have the specialty titles that Netflix is releasing. I mean, even something as as controversial as Blonde, like Blonde's not going to be a movie that is is going to play very well to, I mean, mostly anyone at this point. But you know, it's available on Netflix in the same way that White Noise is available. But those two movies aren't in any way similar to, you know, an Adam Sandler comedy or you know one of their kind of middle of the road action films like The Gray Men or. Uh, the old guard, you know, they, they, they seem to have something really special with glass onion and that will probably be a, a, a turning point for them. But yeah, if you like these weird kind of art house movies that were made in the seventies and eighties specifically, you'll, you'll want to seek it out. You're going to seek this out. If you, if you know about white noise or if you know about Noah Baumbach, if you know about Noah Baumbach, uh, yes. The most crane shots you'll ever get in a, in a Noah Baumbach movie, probably. Yes. And it also um, rivals Spielberg's, uh, the Fablemans when it comes to, uh, train crashes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's well made. It's well put together. It's one of those movies that I do think like you need to be in the right headspace while watching it as well and kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah. Because if you don't really know too much and it's been a long day or if you've watched something else before, like this, this is an interest. This, if this had played at TIFF and this was like film the, four. F- yeah. Film four of the day or even the first movie of the day at like 8 a.m. or something like that at like an early morning screening, I think it would be a little bit more difficult to 
digest. That's kind of what happened with me, man, because it was yeah. a 9.30 screening. It did not start until 10.30, I feel like, or something like that, 10.15 maybe. Um, I think it was like a 45-minute delay. Um, and yeah, I just it was it was so hard for me to get into that first hour, and then uh, I was almost like struggling. And then um, I uh, I I did get more into it, and I liked elements of it. But it is one of those movies that I am excited. Not that I loved any of it, but just to give it another shot at home, or maybe if they screen it here in Toronto again at light at Lightbox or something, that I would definitely. Uh, give that first hour um, another shot. Um, And then after the screening, we went to the opening night party of the New York Film Festival. Um, It reminded me of when TIFF used to do their big opening night parties at the Liberty Grand um, here in Toronto at Exhibition Place, which is like this big sprawling venue, indoor spaces, outdoor spaces, uh, sponsored by Campari. Campari was everywhere. um campari was flowing um, it was camping the only, out the only drinks you could get or at least at the bars i went to felt like uh, campari cocktails so i was drinking negronis no, i don't even like negronis really um they're very bitter um but that didn't stop me from having a bunch of them um you know eric and i you me and you walked around and and kind of just scoped out the party like kind of you know we didn't know where people were that we knew. We bumped into some people we knew uh, from Toronto, obviously that were there as critics choice members uh, uh, as well, like Mariska uh, and, and Rad and Terry and, and some other people. Um, And then you spotted um, Ari Aster, which I think was funny. (laughs) I sure did, (laughs) Matt. You and Mariska did. And then uh, Mariska was like, come talk to him with us. I'm like, I'm not bothering him. Like I'm, I'm not that guy where I'm like, he's having a conversation with someone. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do that. I'm like, maybe if I was walking past him and he wasn't already talking to someone, um, I would stop him if I recognized him and go, Oh my God, hereditary and midsummer are fantastic. It's very nice to meet you. How, how has your festival been? Are you watching movies here? Kind of things like that. Um, that's what I would do if I met someone, I I just can't be that person. We'll get into the press conference as well. I just like, I can't, I just, I'm not that person who will like go up and like interrupt a conversation or hover around a conversation to try to talk someone. No offense to anyone who does. I wish I had that energy. (laughs) Like I really do wish that was in me of just like, it's just not. And, um, I mean, you and Mariska did end up going up to him and you said a few words to him. Right. But then like, uh, yep. Had a a short conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It started to rain, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was just basically like, I was kind of there and I was like, Oh no, I like, I, I don't, I don't want to bother him, but then like Mariska introduced me and I was like, okay, what what am I going to say here? And I like, I did like the classic film snob thing. I was like, oh, I uh, was a really big fan of um, your interviews on the Criterion channel with the Safdie brothers. And then I asked him about, um, because he gets a special thanks on um, Resurrection, uh, the movie with Rebecca Hall. And I was curious to know like what, what he did on that or like what, yeah. ha- like why yeah, he got the special thanks. And, and he kind of gave me an interesting, like, I mean, like I, I'm sure he probably would have, like if it was like an, an actual Q and a kind of thing would have given me more time, but he was trying to, I think, think like how to say this in the quickest way possible, but he was kind of like, Oh, you know, like I just kind of did this or that. And, 
you know, yeah. and, and what have you. And then, you know, he was whisked away by his, I think, publicist or people or, or what have you. But, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was cool. an anxiety inducing experience. Like just an Ari like Aster his, movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same with me. I've started to go away. And Marissa's like, where are you going? I'm like, I can't do this. And I just walked away. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't like, take it. I know it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to be in a bear like, suit by the end of this. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. Bye. Yeah. And then I just like walked away. Cause I, I needed a drink anyway. I'm like, I'm not drunk enough for this right now. Like if I was drunk, I'm like, can get pretty confident, not in like a stupid way, but just in like a. I won't feel as like anxious or embarrassed or something to like go up to someone, but like you can join in on the um, conversation. Easier. Yeah. Easier where at that point I'm like, guys, I don't want to bother him. He seems like he's having a conversation. Maybe he wants to escape that conversation. I don't know, but I'm not going to be the one to interrupt that conversation when someone, cause I wouldn't like it if I was having a conversation with someone or like Ari Aster and some random people I didn't know came up and, and I'd be like, I'd hate that. I'm like a fucking, like that's not – I'm not saying like Mariska was waiting until that conversation yeah. was over. Um, but even then, I was like, I, I can't hover around here. I got to go. Yeah. And then like – so I, I went and got a drink. Uh, our friend uh, Max um, from Twitter uh, bumped into me and he was like, Matt? And I've never met him in person. So um, talked to him and his lovely uh, partner for – a while uh asked how their festival was going that's where i kind of like i was gonna come back and i probably if you guys were talking to ari at that time i would have joined because it was you guys talking to him and then i feel like i'm just joining a conversation with people i know rather than uh bothering ari aster um so i talked to max and, and his girlfriend for a while and that was lovely to meet him in person so it's just like those weird and wild things that like um you're not expecting like someone you, you talk to on Twitter and you meet in person. And um, it's just, it's kind of cool. Like it's something that I would have never thought in the past, but I've made a lot of friends over Twitter and the internet and stuff like that. And never thought I would. So like Max is, is awesome. And uh, talked to him for a while. He works at uh, the museum of the moving image. Uh, he does their development and marketing, I believe over there. We'll get to more from that because Max hooked us up later on in the trip, but uh, had a lovely time talking about uh, what movies he's been seeing at the festival and, and, and things like that and um, what his, his partner was doing at the festival as well. So it was just kind of a, a nice little conversation. You joined in after you talked to Ari Aster too. And, yeah, and, uh, I needed some time to recover. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, So then I got another drink. We walked around some more. Uh, jump in at any time, Eric, if there's something that I'm missing or you want to talk. No, about. no. I like, mean, it, it was very nice to to meet Max and was was his um, partner's name Sophie or Sophia or? I believe so, but I, I have a I apologize. Memory, that, so. Yeah, it, I, I had a hard time. That's Hearing, the one thing. Yeah. yeah with parties. Those parties it's, yeah. It's so it's really hard to like kind of gauge what people are saying. And I have to like lean in at times because my hearing is not. Same, Great, so I think it, that was just that party yeah. in general. Um, so yeah, I, we met Max and and his his lovely partner. Uh, go follow Max as Max Cornelian on uh, on Twitter. Um, he's great. Um, so talk to him for a little bit. Then we randomly bumped into other people we knew. It was so weird. Like it's it's weird being in a different city, like a different country, 
and this is how like the the internet has made things kind of universal and or you smaller have as, a smaller yeah world. smaller like we're in our bubble right like our film twitter bubble kind of right and there's little subsects of film twitter people know of each other but aren't necessarily friends but like recognize a person from whatever outlet they write from or their tweets or or met them once before at a festival or or you know the uh, person from Toronto moved to New York and now they are friends with other people it's like it, it's wild so we were kind of like getting ready to leave because it was raining and then we bump into um a bunch of people we knew uh Matt Hoffman who I haven't seen in it's since the last time we were in New York yeah which was um, we, both we times we yeah, both times we were in New York, we randomly bumped into Matt Hoffman, who is from Toronto, has you know, has written for me when I used to run Toronto film scene and other things. He's friends with Adriana and, and Nevis and like um and I'm good friends with Matt as well through through all of this stuff. So it was just it was fun to see Matt um and talk to him for a bit. Um and uh Jason uh whose last name is Os uh, Jason uh I'm gonna butcher your last name Jason Oziah I think is his last name or on I'll find on Instagram too uh he just goes on Jason but Jason Oziah on on Twitter I bumped into Jason and he's going Matt do you remember how we met and I'm like dude, I have the worst Oziason. There we go. I have Oziason, Jason Oziason. Um, bumped into Jason cause he's friends with Matt as well. And I, I know him through film Twitter and he comes to TIFF every year and stuff like that. And he's like, we met at Comic-Con and I was like, Oh my God, really? I'm like, he's like, yeah, you met my parents at Comic-Con. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, I'm like, I it started coming back to me as he said it, but I'm just like, I am so bad with like people and faces and names. Like I've known Jason for a long time, but like I couldn't have placed, you know, where I met uh, him just because I'm an awful person. Um, but Jason's great. Talk to him uh, for a bit. I didn't see, I saw him around at TIFF, but I never bumped into him to have a conversation. So uh, it's funny bumping into him uh, in New York, met some of their friends and stuff like that. So as we were leaving, it was kind of, and then Matt was like, come to the after party at this bar. And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> um, and I thought about it because I did want to go back out, but it was like raining and stuff like that too. So, yeah, I, um, I, I think I was the voice of a reason there where I was like, Matt, we gotta, you know, we gotta call it a night, but, uh, you still ordered room service though. So, you know, I did, we went back, it was like three in the morning. Uh, Nevis, I was talking to her on FaceTime cause she was at Adriana's 30th birthday party. Happy belated birthday to Adriana, former host of movie monarchy. Um, so right. That was movie monarchy. She was yeah. like thir the third movie chair. night, right? Um, yeah. At movie night. Um, now working for Cineplex again. Um, so she, she's successful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, Hey, I wrote for family feud Canada. So I know. Adriana actually. So, <laughs> um that's why we're the eighth best podcast in canada yeah, movie yeah, podcast yeah. uh eighth best podcast Ooh, maybe maybe one day um that's a that's a dream then i ordered a grilled cheese eric people are loving this conversation aren't they um i am uh <laughs> i ordered a grilled cheese which weirdly had tomato on it weird um that's how you know it's fancy when they add giant... another thing to it a giant plate of French fries and a Diet Coke at like three in the morning. So that was fun. No Brussels sprouts though this time. It'd be funny then, if they snuck in some Brussels sprouts. Then uh, had a nice sleep. 
We had the press conference the next day, which you've already touched on. Uh, I actually thought the press conference was pretty interesting. Like I thought Noah Baumbach is very well-spoken. Greta Gerwig, very well-spoken. It was cool to see Danny Elfman in person and, and Don Cheadle. And um, I thought they spoke very eloquently about the movie. And it seemed like they all kind of, or Noah especially, really cared about the material and wanted to adapt it. Um, and then... Uh, you know, it was a, a pretty solid press conference, giving you a little bit more context about the making of the movie. Had a little water, a little snacks, a little hors d'oeuvres, and people mingled in the room with uh, with the cast and crew of the movie. And I did what I said before, where I'm like, I'm not going to interrupt that conversation, so I'm just going to stand over here. And then we didn't eat or have coffee for a long time. No, but then afterwards, we uh, we went to Momi and... That was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, even though it was kind of, it was more just kind of a, 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 like, I mean, when I say quick, we were still there for a decent amount of time. Almost but, two hours or something like that. Yeah, but, but yeah. it was kind of a, a more of a, uh, kind of a skim through uh, their existence. We had to kind of go through it. Like you could spend probably a whole day there or or at least a good chunk of your day. But um, yes, shout out to Max and the team at Momi who hooked us up, um, put our luggage away, even though their coat check was closed and, um, you know, let us kind of explore the museum for a couple hours while we were waiting to go to the airport. Because Momi is in Queens, which is, you know anyone who's going and is a it hasn't been there and is a fan of film and television like you should absolutely go and it is in Queens so like you could go on the day that you're going to the airport like um because I, I mean if you're staying in New York take a day and just go to Queens and go to Momi but it also is on the way to LaGuardia so like if you are going to LaGuardia you could stop for an hour or two and and check out Momi like we did and my second time being there uh, they have a couple new exhibits, which they didn't have before. Uh, one you have to pay extra for, which is the Walking Dead exhibit. And then um, they have the Jim Henson exhibit still, which was there when I was there. And then they have um, – there was something else I think that was new. Um, was the about, Leica stuff new? Yes, the Leica stuff. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. The Leica stuff was uh, new uh, and wasn't there, which was just kind of a small corner. And it was more like an interactive stop motion thing that kids could do on computers. But they have like a lot of great interactive stuff. If you have like young kids who are interested in movie making, or if you are a, a parent who is interested in movies and you want to get your kid introduced to that kind of stuff, like it's a good mix of you know, stuff for kids, but also for huge film fans. They have literal props and scripts and, and costumes and, and makeup and, and cameras and, and microphones and uh, basically everything. Like it is a dream for people who really um, love film and television and the moving image. And I just feel like it's uh, you see every aspect in really interesting ways, like in even, you know, you can get production books and the making of books and stuff like that and see a lot of that production design and and concept art and stuff like that. But just seeing it displayed out there and they're the real ones from those movies and the costumes and stuff like that. I, I love it like that. Jim Henson exhibits also excellent. Um, but Eric, your first time there, so you you enjoyed it. Yeah, I really liked it quite a bit, and and just in terms of like seeing a lot of you know props and storyboards, and even like you know in in the post phase of things, you know there were collectors' items and and Star Wars action figures from the original lineup, and and thinking how you know that's all a part of 
you know, the cycle of a lot of these studio movies, yeah. especially where like marketing does play a part and selling action figures and, and memorabilia does play a part in that. And, um, you know, watching clips and things like that. I think Barry Jenkins is, uh, the gaze, uh, this exhibit is, is there's yeah, this kind of, that was new as well. Yeah. There's this section that's kind of dedicated to, uh, a, a short that, was shot during the making of the underground railroad. And it's just basically a lot of cast and crew and extras in costume and the camera kind of dollying in and out and kind of, you know, capturing a moment in time. And it's such a beautifully realized piece of, of artistry and, very evocative but emotional too and um yeah it was just it was really fascinating to you know collectively with other people kind of observe that and be in the room at that moment and um then yeah going into like seeing kind of like blown up versions of things or 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 you know scaled down versions of 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 certain um you know set designs whether they be you know something from blade runner the opening of blade runner uh in that opening sequence or you know freddie's sweater from the later yeah. nightmare and elm street movies and 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 things that kind of you don't necessarily think are needed for a production but are there to you know assist you know, the people that are making the movie and give a, a, a visual reference or guide and putting together something. And even for movies that maybe aren't necessarily, you know, historical landmark films or great movies per se, but there's a lot of work that still goes into them that I found and they that showcase to be, that, yeah. you know, refreshing that it was a place that could, you know, have both, you know, the most integral and important parts of, making a film or a tv show to you know jim carrey's the mask you know <laughs> like things yep. like that like it this was a little Delphi. bit of everything <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah man it's awesome and you could spend so much more time we kind of had to quickly go through we couldn't even sure watch a we, movie which 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 we would have loved to the, do the, the con <laughs> film festival was happening the the a tribute to the late great james con and the day that we we went we had missed it but by the time we got in but they were playing alienation and i was like this yeah. is this is this is awesome which mac that was supposedly max's baby like he was yeah. the one who who came up with that so uh, Max has got a dope job. I'm jealous. Um, and the Momi is great. Um, you guys should absolutely go check it out if you're in New York. I feel like it's a place that it's one of those museums that I feel like doesn't get talked about a lot. Like uh, maybe it's because it's so specific or something. Like obviously there's some great museums in New York, but and it's something we talked about where people who go to New York, you kind of stay in Manhattan. Sometimes you stay in those touristy areas and like get out to Brooklyn, get out to Queens, kind of explore some other areas. And even if you still are doing touristy things like going to a museum, it still kind of gets you out in that area and you can kind of explore. You can go to a Starbucks like we did. I've never been there before. Oh, Eric, I haven't mentioned the Dunkin'. <laughs> I got so much <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. I got giant ass iced coffees. And I will say I love Dunkin' Donuts cold brew. Like it is really good. And maybe it's a novelty thing. Like maybe if I lived in the US, I'd find a better cold brew somewhere. Um, but I get it. I get it. I love it. Um, their donuts, I had some when we were at the airport, were kind of stale. They weren't great. <laughs> but like 
Um, I don't know how your chocolate donut was, but like, it was fine. It was fine. Like fine. It's serviceable. I wonder though, if it's that same, if that feeling you have towards Dunkin' Donuts is the same that Americans have to Tim Hortons, where there is kind of a a little bit of a novelty there because it isn't available for the most part in the US. But I get it with Timbits and stuff like that, but Tim Hortons coffee is not good. They're cold brew. Not great. And like, at least Dunkin', I feel like there's like a, First off, I can get a giant fucking bucket, which is incredible. <laughs> like, it's the biggest. I love the sizes. Like, I just want the most iced coffee I can get. Your bladder's Dunk- just like Matt. Why? Duncan <laughs> is the place I can do that. And like, it's, it, you know, I don't know. I think it's good. And you can get oat milk. It's great. Like, I just, uh, I'm all for Duncan. I'm on the I'm team Affleck when it comes to Duncan Donuts. And like, I've wanted. Um, I'm surprised they haven't opened any here. I guess maybe because Tim Hortons and Starbucks kind of have that market. Like, why try to insert yourself, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, and there's so many smaller specialty places as well. And even something kind of that's the in-between the in Tim Hortons and uh, Starbucks with Second Cup. So, like, it, like coffee-wise, it's like there's so much already yeah available that it's like well what's the point of bringing are you gonna you're really probably competing with tim hortons and second cup and then like second cup is that middle ground so you're really competing with tim hortons and tim hortons has such a stranglehold like i could see the whoever owns dunkin donuts the duncan family um being like the dunkster "Ah, what's the point like right like i don't think they're gonna take over tim hortons although as a Canadian, Tim Hortons not good. No, not good. but it's um, it's been around for so long now that it's just a part of the DNA of of of. Canada I'm sure Americans that... say the same thing about Dunkin', right? No, like, no, no. Yeah. I know that, but I'm talking about from the point of view of like Dunkin'. If they tried to if they tried to invade Canada <laughs> and tried to claim part of it, like in in terms of competition. I don't think that they would succeed. I think like, yeah. even them, tr- like it wouldn't end up even being something like Bell versus Rogers in terms of like, you know, the, the two main cable no. providers and not having any other options. Like Tim Hortons is like, there is Starbucks, but Starbucks is one of those things where it's like, it is, and isn't competing against Tim Hortons. It, it's, it's still Tim something- Hortons is trying to compete with Starbucks where I don't think Starbucks is trying to t- compete with Tim Hortons. Does that no. make perfect sense? Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense in the way that like, People that order Tim Hortons on the regular that are that are customers aren't necessarily going to go out of their way to get Starbucks. Where I think, you know, Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks is good, but like Starbucks isn't the the best either. But it's it's, no, it's, it's 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 better than Tim Hortons in terms of their quality. But there still is a little bit of that kind of like. Oh well, it's not my go-to thing, or like people don't necessarily it's like a fancy order. thing. You're treating yeah. yourself, or, or they, like you, or they're afraid of it. I think there's right. there's a bit of intimidation with how. Oh, to conservative order, right? Canadians, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to like, say grande or you know, yeah, uh, or fr- or, I think that's stupid. You can just get a normal coffee at, at Starbucks, and yeah. but like ultimately, even coffee snobs at us right now are going come on guys like there's so much better and i go i'm a simple man i i want my duncan or my starbucks like i'm all american boy you know um anyways um seattle or boston that's all that's all i think of uh speaking of seattle they're playing the blue jays in the first round of the mlb playoffs which start tomorrow eric tomorrow sports Um, i don't care yeah i know 
Um, all right, moving on. Anything else from New York? We went to the airport. You got Shake Shack. I got on an earlier flight, which is great. Always try to do that. If you get, you do the three hour thing like Eric and I do. Um, if you're through security really quickly, try to get on an earlier flight because they usually will probably put you on one if there's room. So it's great. Yeah, I I took American Airlines and um, that was the first time I've ever ever flown with them, and uh, I thought it was actually quite nice. Like I, Air Canada was fine, man. But I I do understand that you know we had some people who were on Air Canada flights and their flights got canceled. So I think that's like the biggest thing right now. It's almost like. To me, the airport's not a clusterfuck from since I've been there, but it's like the, the airline, airline itself where they're like, they'll just cancel flights because they don't have enough people. And I don't think it's like, it just depends on what flight you're on. <laughs> like, But this really, Saturday like, night though, was it was fascinating because um, uh, Mariska was on the same flight as me. Actually, she, she was sitting right next to me because she got a different flight. So they oh, put her on that one. Okay. And we were talking. Oh, because her, she was, I think on one of the ones that got canceled. Yeah. So, so it was funny. Like she pointed out that like it's almost a dead zone um, on, on Saturday night and Saturdays is like probably like Saturday evening is probably the best time, the best to time to fly. Yeah. That makes a good point. Like not many people, cause either people are flying on a Fridays to have their weekend or if you're going on vacation, maybe a Monday or something like that. Like a Saturday night probably is yeah, even my air Canada flight, which was busy, but it was because all of the other flights were started to get canceled. So people were being put on other ones. I luckily got a seat on the earlier one, which still got me home an hour early. And Oh, I didn't tell you this story yet, Eric. Maybe I did over like text or something, but I get to the airport. Um, sorry. I, I go on this earlier flight. They're like, okay, we'll give you a ticket on the earlier flight, but you have to check your bag. And right. I'm like, fine. Cause like, it wasn't even guaranteed that like I would get a, a spot on the later flight. Because, like, for some fucking reason, they don't let you check your bag for free. But then if you bring a carry-on bag, there's not enough room for everyone's carry-on bags. So they have to tell you, you have to check it for free if we don't have enough room. So if you don't get on the plane early enough, you have to check it. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm uh, Whatever. I'll check it on my way home. And I'm like, it can't be that bad. I get to Pearson. Get through security all pretty quickly, like get through customs pretty quickly, um, get down to baggage claim. It's like, oh, it'll be on baggage claim seven. And I'm like, all right, cool. So our whole flight goes over there, but there's like three other flights on the baggage claim thing waiting and waiting. Bags are coming. Bags are coming. Or like I see other people who are on my flight. I recognize other people. We're all waiting. One guy's on the phone starting to get angry. He's just walking around waiting. I'm waiting for an hour. So when I get off the plane, like from the time I land to an hour and a half, really, but I'm counting from the time I kind of get through security and I get down to the baggage claim thing, uh, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, how the fuck is it taking this long? This is a nightmare. And then I started to go, oh, no, Pearson is a clusterfuck. This is absolutely ridiculous to wait an hour. I waited almost as long for my luggage than I did to get from New York to Toronto. And like my baggage took just as long to get from the fucking airplane to baggage than it did for me to fly to New York or fly home from New York. So I'm standing there. A guy comes over. He's like, guys, you guys are in from the New York flight? A bunch of us are like, yeah. He's like, our shit's on number six. I'm like, oh my God. It was on number six the whole time was probably there forever and like he's just like yeah i just noticed my bag because it was purple and it's like it was like it's, <laughs> he's like i noticed it and then i saw that all of our stuff was on number six and no one said anything 
Like right. it just came out of the wrong hole. And like, uh, it was on <laughs> fucking number six. So I'm like, go to I'm the just, doctor for that one came out I'm of the wrong so, hole. <laughs> I'm so mad at that point. Like I started to just get so agitated as I'm waiting for this bag. And then, um, I get home and I ate a Subway sandwich, which I Uber eats to my place to be waiting for me nicely, like a nice sack of food right when I got home. And I was like, what do I want right now? I'm like, I I want something that's just carbs and basically something that's just sustenance that- Who gives you energy, um, right? Yeah. So a foot-long turkey sub from Subway on whole wheat sounded great. So I crushed that bad boy. Then I went to Nuit Blanche. Um so I stayed out again till like You're a wild morning, man walking around Toronto and Nuit Blanche, the worst. It oh, it's sucks. always been bad. It's I, always bad. I know. I, I know never it. understood it. Like I remember going the first but time. Eric, if your wife wants to go, you be a good husband and you go. I get it. You're the ultimate wife guy. Let's, Unlike... That 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 term's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> people will know what we're talking about. I think. Um, yeah, I, I remember the first time I went to Nuit Blanche. For people that don't know that are outside of Ontario, I guess, or Toronto even, um, Nuit Blanche is kind of like All uh, night an art, art exhibit that you yeah. know people like can display their their works on the street. They, you can go to um, specialty and, exhibits yeah. that are still open. If you know somebody and and like you you can go to an, an actual exhibit that's open that's fine but like if you're looking for something to kind of enjoy like on the street or what have you it is so bare like there is drunk people it's teenagers it's just people who want to stay up all night and walk the streets of toronto and like um you know i one of nevis's you know adriana's partner um luca like dj'd some event at a park so they all went to that but then i joined them after because i was already over and walked around with them for a bit and you know i again love my wife and she's like please just come and i was like all right i'm exhausted but i will and um i didn't regret it because i just hung out with her and then we took a uber home but the event itself is boring it is we walked around i'm like is this really it we couldn't find anything that we really liked and 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 that was it that was the new york trip man so I, uh, you went home and went to sleep. I, I sure did. I sure did. Um, it was lovely. Um, all right. Before we wrap, a couple other things. Um, so, you know, it's a press conference filled episode. Uh, Eric and I also attended the virtual press conference for 20th Century Studios, uh, Rosaline, which is a weird one right now because is it, is media- it Rosaline or Rosaline? R- Rosaline. I always went Rosaline, but that's just me with my stupidity. But Rosaline's probably correct. Um, who knows with those accents, Eric, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, we went to the uh, virtual press conference, which we can talk about. Um, oh, we can. Social, it's not in, like, social, embargo? Social media embargo is up. Review embargo is not up. So we won't be reviewing the film here. Um, you guys can check out our... Twitter, if you want to see our impressions on Rosaline. Um, I haven't even written anything. <laughs> neither have I. I mean, we, it's the embargo as we're recording this is not up. It's just uh, we can later today. Uh, so those are always weird because I'm like, can we talk about the movie? But we're like, I can tweet about it, but can I talk about it? Or is it just a tweet? 
um, and then the press conference we attended to today, which we'll keep pretty brief, much like the um, the white noise press conference, which I did enjoy. The Rosaline one, I didn't not enjoy it um, for a movie that I, you know, read our Twitter. Like I think I can say I liked. I just. Um, it added a little bit like it's not it's always nice to hear from the filmmakers and the creators i think with all of these things like that's what i'm most interested in when i attend one of these press conferences and you guys can tell what the types of interviews we do and and things like that when they happen usually with filmmakers or or writers or cinematographers like we like the craft element and the and the behind the scenes stuff nothing against actors or anything like that um, I just find, you know, the people who are most passionate um, a lot of the times about the movie and have a lot to say are the people behind the camera making the movie. So, um, you know, it is always interesting to hear from the cast and crew of stuff. Um, and you do get a little bit more context of why someone made a movie or some of the choices they make, whether it's the music or um, how they got involved in a project uh, and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have much to say, but like, it was interesting hearing Karen Maine speak about it and the director, um, yeah. the director, Karen, uh, Maine and, um, just kind of, it reminded me also like the movie, which I'll get more into in the review of a, of a play I talked about recently on this show called Anne Juliet. So I just found it interesting that this movie coming out around the same time, having a lot of similar elements, but um, they didn't reference it in this press conference, but I'm, I, I would have been curious to hear like if they know about that play and if there was anything um, inspiration or, or one knew about the other before. But yeah, a pretty standard press conference. I'll, I'll put it that way, I guess. Right, Eric? Yeah, there wasn't too much there in, in the way of, of learning about the craft itself or something interesting about the production you mentioned to me afterwards that it was kind of interesting to learn that, you know, Caitlin Deaver's process is picking a playlist or curating a playlist for her, for her character. character to yeah. kind of get into the, the mindset of, of the person she's playing. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's interesting because like that script has been around for a while. So I don't know if the development of it kind of ha like it going into actual production was because of of this other play happening because I, I know somebody who worked on it and I think you do as well um was something that maybe was kind of almost like uh, either serendipitous or maybe it was something that was kind of calculated because sometimes those things do happen where you know like there is a trend but there always seems to be a resurgence with Shakespearean yeah. adaptations. I mean, even with and putting a modern spin on it is not wholly new or anything. No, no, right? no. And, and, and I mean, it's the inverse version of, you know, a modern adaptation of like, you know, 10 things I hate about you being the taming of the shrew or, you know, any of, of those stories that where it's like, you take kind of like a classic, you know, concept and then kind of adapt it into the modern era. I mean, we even saw that with that horrible Romeo and Juliet version that was that was at Sundance a couple of years ago. That was the virtual version. That was the online version of Romeo and Juliet, which makes even less sense given how you know quick technology is to get through to somebody. So um, there's always, I mean, even with The Northman earlier this year with, with Hamlet, you know, like there's always. 
there's always something going on with a Shakespearean adaptation or, or the tragedy of Macbeth, you know, like there, there's always going to be a new version or a new take or a, a classic reimagining, um, you know, a revisionist version of Shakespeare. It's, yeah. it's, but it is interesting just in terms of like taking the characters within the Romeo and Juliet setting and kind of playing with that and sort of taking characters that are either only mentioned in reference or have smaller roles and kind of fleshing them out. So um, making sure everything came from like a, you know, a woman's perspective and something is something Karen Maine talked about, which I thought yeah. was interesting as well. Even though it is um, written by two guys, the, yeah. the two writers of uh, 500 days of summer. So yeah, which is, uh, it happens a lot. I I find myself going interesting choice of writers on a movie and then they try to fill all the other positions out with like, you know, either women or, or people, which is color, fine. Like, it's not, which it's is not, it's nothing, but it almost again, feels deceitful saying... on the, not on the filmmaker's point of view, but on like the marketing of a movie where it's like, yeah. we're being authentic. And then you see like, you know, straight out of Compton is written by a bunch of white people. And you're just kind of like the woman King. It was <laughs> two white women. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it, it's just, it, it is, it's always kind of, yeah. Interesting in, in a weird way of going, huh? All right. But then at least you, you get someone, you know, the rest of the casting crew and bringing their perspective in on it and putting their stamp on it. And, and, um, yeah, you guys will get our review on, um, on Tuesday, um, uh, as you're listening to this. So we'll go more into detail there of what we thought about the movie. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting getting everyone's process of adapting a Shakespeare movie, but with modern language, modern sensibilities, it feels like a very, you know, today teen rom-com, but like w- with that Shakespearean lens, which is I'm a sucker for. And I think they, um, you know, it, it is always sort of interesting in these press conferences. They can kind of go either way. Um, you do get like a little nugget here and there. So, um, yeah, that was our Rosaline. Rosaline? Rosaline? I think it's Rosaline. Uh, or Rosaline. 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 Okay. All right. All right. It's been a long day, everyone. Um and then finally, speaking, I mean, sticking with the Disney family and uh, uh, the Fox family, really, uh, you brought it Fox up. Fox DVD. Uh, you brought it up <laughs> earlier in the show, Eric. But yes. the news we missed out last week, which Free we, guy need to, <laughs> we need to touch on. Um, we got a trailer or announcement video, um, which, you know, as much as I've kind of harped on Ryan Reynolds a little bit over the last you know few years i will say his um his marketing company um i think their advertisements really do work and it takes his sense of humor and puts them into these and i think it works in those small 30 second minute and a half commercials that they do that doesn't feel as maybe as grating as like a feature length movie but um uh yeah, they dropped a a video where Ryan Reynolds comes out and he's talking about Deadpool three and why they didn't have anything at uh D twenty three, but he wanted to announce that Deadpool three is happening. And then um, Hugh Jackman walks in the background and he's like, "Hey Hugh, uh, you want to play Wolverine one more time?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And then walks up the stairs. <laughs> And they uh, announced Deadpool 3, and the 3 is Wolverine's claws into the Deadpool logo. I love that. Um, and, you know, anything can happen now, Eric, because, you know, it, we're in the multiverse, multiverse. saga. Um, is death real? 
Uh, are we in a multiverse? I don't know. Um, curious to get your thoughts because like I'll, I'll kick it off because um, I like the Deadpool movies. I like the Deadpool character. Um, I love Wolverine. Uh, you know, the X-Men movies hit or miss Wolverine being that one thing that's always been good in them. I think for the most part, Except other than X-Men. Yeah, go ahead. Wolverine. Yeah, go ahead. Which, Hey, had Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman in it. So the first time together. Um, I, uh, I would say that, yeah, X-Men Origins Wolverine is obviously the lowest point, but Logan being a high point and ending that character so perfectly, um, it's interesting bringing him back. Does it diminish that? Does it um, does it matter? Like, just maybe have fun. Who cares? Like, it could be a different version of Wolverine. He could pick him up on the timeline earlier. He could pick him up right before his death um, as a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing. Like, there's so many different ways you can kind of approach this. And ironically, weirdly, the end of Deadpool 2 might work perfectly with how they'll set him up for the MCU because he has that time travel device or whatever it is or that portal device thing. Right. Um and, you know, I'm all for this. Like, I do think like a buddy road trip movie with Deadpool and Wolverine or or whatever this will end up being um, could be a lot of fun. And um, I'm not I, like Logan will always be there. And I think will always be a perfect ending for that version of the character. But I think being in the multiverse saga, introducing Deadpool to the MCU, you're now introducing Hugh Jackman's Wolverine to the MCU. Um, which I still believe he won't be the Wolverine moving forward. I think this will be one and not done. a one and done, but a one and secret wars. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> no, a one and war, uh, uh, a one and war or something like I, I really do think that he'll be in this movie and then he'll be in secret wars, which I think they'll in secret wars. They really will bring back anyone who will come back who has done a Marvel movie before. Um, that's my uh, belief. Ben Affleck is Daredevil. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, dude. Um, I really think they'll they'll go that deep into just bringing back whoever will come back. To if have, they like, bring a, Edward Norton back as the Hulk, that will be funny. I don't know, man. So, um, anyways, I'm I'm stoked. I'm 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 excited for this. Like, I I do agree with you that the Deadpool movies can be a little juvenile and and grating at times. Yeah, obnoxious and but I, I think it works more than it doesn't for me personally, just because like especially if you take that and put it into the MCU and if Disney and Marvel Studios again, I don't love Sean Levy as a as a filmmaker either. He's fine. Um, but I if they do kind of the um Chippendale Rescue Rangers thing where they kind of aren't so precious over the stuff that they own and they kind of let them poke fun at things in a way that you're surprised that Disney or Marvel studios would let them poke fun at the MCU and, and superhero movies. Then I'm kind of hoping that's the vibe I get from this. Right. Cause like I was surprised at multiple times in Chippendale rescue Rangers of going, I'm shocked. Disney said, yeah, you can do that. And that's what I hope I get out of this movie essentially. Right. Like uh, if that's what you bring this character in, who's breaking the fourth wall, who kind of knows all, who can kind of poke fun at everything, and then you still have Wolverine have this kind of, you know, you're hoping like lethal weapon style relationship of like the buddy cop, buddy uh, road trip kind of thing, maybe uh, I'm down for it. Well, I yeah, know. I think it could almost be like 
Thor Ragnarok, right? Where yeah. you team up the Hulk and, and Thor or have that kind of like, you know, the duo kind of thing going on. I honestly don't care. I don't think it, I don't think Deadpool three ruins the, um, the legacy of Logan by any means. It's just, it's just another movie. And like, I think maybe the, the thing that I am maybe most curious about still is how the tone of Deadpool will fit into the rest of the MCU because of it being an R rated property, how will that kind of adapt, you know, moving forward, you know, will, will that be able to work within the confines of the, the greater Marvel universe, you know, I think it'll be an R rated movie. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, how will those sensibilities play within, you know, like if Deadpool kind of is brought back for Secret Wars or more integrated moving forward. I think forward. you just bleep him out. You literally have a bleep in it and he right. references it and then that. Just uh, bring in like, Alpha Flight. That's all I want. You know, with, with, I'm so, I hope, man. That's all I know. I'm stumbling because I'm just like, I'm with you. I, I want Alpha Flight so badly. And it could with Logan being in this, like it definitely could be a part of it if they go the full canadian route of it because like both characters are canadian uh ryan reynolds being canadian sean levy being canadian um i could i could see it dude like you could spin off alpha flight two into a series or yeah i mean we were talking with werewolf by night you know like what could work as like a 45 minute sort of special oh alpha Alpha Flight flight would be perfect yeah, on Canada Day, bro. Yep. On Canada Day, I know Canada Day is not really like probably appropriate anymore. Like, but I, I I get it. Like, not a day that maybe we should celebrate. But like, um, either way, um, doesn't necessarily have to be that day. But if we get an Alpha Flight special presentation, I am all for that. And I could definitely see it. You have this many Canadians involved. I know you obviously Hugh Jackman's not, but uh, the character of Logan is. So like there could be a strong Canadian connection in this movie, right? Like um, you, you hope with all that and Disney needs their CanCon, So yep. um, somehow uh, they're trying to argue certain movies being CanCon, but uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm, I'm, it was a random announcement right after we recorded last Wednesday or whatever. So well, especially after, you know, Comic-Con and D23 had already passed, right? Like, it kind of felt like we knew that Deadpool 3 was happening, but... Do you think it, they were just still negotiating with Hugh Jackman, maybe? and then like Probably. I mean, like, I think that's even the case with some of the Fantastic Four stuff, where it's just, you, you have to make it official before you, you know, announce anything to the public. Because if it's not, you know, written on paper, if it's, if it's not there, then... You, you know, you you run the risk of things falling apart. You know, there there has been plenty of situations where you see like, oh, this person's in talks to join this project, or this person's going, you know, is is potentially circling this role. But that doesn't mean that they're go- that they're in it. You, you know, like they could be in talks or well into talks or almost ready to go. But you need to get that confirmation in order to, you know, make it official. And if it's not there, you know, you can you can upset people, especially when it comes to comic book movies, where it's like if you say like, oh, this person, you know, is that's why, you know, the word rumor or speculation is used a lot. But if you say like, oh, this person's in talks to play so-and-so or such-and-such and it doesn't happen, 
you know, like the internet just turns to fire. So, you know, you have to be completely and utterly um, confirmed in order to make anything work. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, quickly before we end the episode, uh, and it kind of makes sense because this character also breaks the fourth wall. She-Hulk today, episode uh, eight, excellent. Just absolutely excellent MCU storytelling, excellent episode of TV, excellent use of another character, excellent use of all these little plot points that you think might not be going anywhere or they're kind of building to something and then they build to something weirdly uh disturbing and relatable um and it's just made you know toxic masculinity the number one villain in the mcu for me (laughs) because like i it's slowly what this show has been has been like you know a fun light comedy with slight action elements here and there and slight lawyer uh, like uh, court case elements here and there but really about a young woman in her uh, is it late twenties, early thirties? She's in her thirties. Yeah, she talks about dating in her thirties being yeah. really awkward. Yeah. yeah. In her thirties and just like about shitty men. Right. And like, uh, it does such an excellent job, which I, I remember even talking to you a couple of weeks ago going like, I don't know if it's going anywhere. Like it's fun. It's funny. Like I, I like it, but I just, am not super invested in it. But like today's episode made me go oh fuck like i'm i'm really i thought the ending was excellent and it was weirdly disturbing and not in the way that i thought the show was going um and then also just an exciting fun episode of superhero television like both with a great court case element some great action sequences like almost the like just exactly what you would want from an episode of like an MCU TV show um, and it goes back to being that episodic nature, right? Like having a guest star, having, you know, a self-contained story that's still adding to the overall plot. And like the show's done like a really good job with that, where each episode you could just go, oh yeah, that's the episode with this. Like watch that one episode and you're still okay. You'll still, you know, get the full story arc from that one single episode. But then it's also giving you the little kind of bits and pieces of what the overall story is, which I think is really, really cool. So it's good. Yeah. I'm excited to catch up with it. I still, I still haven't uh, watched what after episode three. So I, I, I still have since some... the review versions you have. Yeah. Seen. Yeah. And, 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 or as well, which is now finally kind of yeah. got to new episodes. And so. I haven't watched the newest episode of Andor, which is very unlike me, but um I don't think that's telling of the series because I've really liked those first four episodes. It was just like yesterday got, we had to watch Rosaline and, um, or Rosaline and, or <laughs> Rosal- Rosaline. Um, and I just didn't have time to watch Andor. So I'm going to kind of decompress after we record this and, and decompress with Andor. Um, so, um, I'm going to watch that after this, but she Hulk has been great, man. I think it's up there with Wanda. If, if they stick the landing um, up there with WandaVision and Loki, um, oh. like as I think, and I liked Miss Marvel a lot too. Um, but I think this is almost like a perfect use of, of the television format. And I, I've really kind of just enjoyed it. I found it funny, like Tatiana Maslany and, and, the chemistry she has just with other people in the show. But even on this episode, I didn't think 
like I won't spoil it, but like the chemistry she has with this other person, I'm like, holy fuck, this is fantastic. I was not expecting this from these two characters. And like, I want more of this. And I never would have thought I wanted that. Um, so I, I was all for it, man. Like it, it was great. But yeah, I'll watch Andor and report back uh, next week. But uh, we're coming up to a full two hours. So let's like anything else, Eric, you want to get off your chest, talk about before we go anything good, news wise. Yeah. Just chilling. All right. Um, thank you all for listening or watching. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, go check out all of our other hashtag content we have up right now. Uh, you guys can get our reviews for uh, werewolf by night uh amsterdam uh don't worry darling how to blow up a pipeline the greatest beer run ever women talking pearl uh andor triangle of sadness the banshees of inishirin empire of light uh glass onion uh the fablemans bros brother weird the al yankovic story which is coming out soon and um and many more. So go over to the reviews channel to check that stuff out. Um, on this channel, you can check out our last of us, uh, impressions from last week. If you came for the Mario stuff, maybe you're a video game fan, go check that out. Um, and then our TIFF wrap up, which is on episode 132. So you guys can check those out as well. Catch my writing on family feud, Canada, Monday through Thursday, 7 30 PM Eastern CBC and CBC gem. And follow me on all those social medias. Actually, first, go to Letterboxd and follow us there at Untitled underscore Movies because that's where you'll find everything. It's the one-stop shop. And then follow me on Letterboxd at Matt Rohrbeck and on Twitter. I'm 50 followers away from 3,000. I would really like to get there just because that's, you know, I just, I need to. <laughs> you, you need that validation so badly. Um let me, I'm going to see how many followers I have to, well, I have, I only have uh 1,612. So that so. means I'm, I'm two times as good as you. Oh, we already knew that though. I mean, if you listen to any of these podcasts, you'll know that in five no, minutes. It's, that's not true. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm low life Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene. And on the social media is at EM6211. Until next time. It's-a me, a Mario. It's-a me, a Matthew.